Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about your identity. The core identity that God has given every single one of us. As this is a very uh, wonderful event, uh, this women's conference, I'm going to try and speak about how we need to embrace our identity. And as a person who isn't a woman, I'm going to have to talk from an outside point of view. But uh, as I said at the conference, I had worked with so many uh, amazing women within this church. And I also have some amazing women in my life. And so maybe I have a unique vantage point of being able to see strong women and be able to uh, see something from the outside. And hopefully during this, I'll be able to just bring us a little closer to what our basic, our core, our fundamental identity has to be in order for us to survive. I also know that there is so much more pressure on women than there is on men. And so that is something that I want to explore through this message. So firstly, let's take a look at what are the roles that you as a woman need to play. And there are so many and it happens so quickly and you have to uh, adjust so quickly to performing all these roles. Well, seeing as the the theme of the conference was princess, uh, princesses, kings of daughters, daughters of kings, my apologies. I thought, well, let's look at princess. So the thing that media wants to constantly tell you is that you need to look like a princess. You need to act like a princess. You need to be filled with grace and beauty. And that is something that is massive in uh, today's age. Also, I mean, who doesn't want to marry a prince? I'm sure many of us watched that royal wedding and uh, we thought, gee, maybe, hey, you know, these these fairy tales really do come true. So you are expected to be a princess on the inside as well as on the outside. But then we don't just want our, our women to be beautiful and graceful. We also need them to be tough at times. And so... Then we look at the Wonder Woman. We also want them to be Wonder Woman. You know, they need to be strong. They need to be able to uh, look after us when we've got man flu. Look after the kids when they're not well. Uh, be able to run around and, and get things uh, in, in the home so that the home functions. We need you to, you know, we, we have to rely on you. And so sometimes we don't just want a princess. We also need a Wonder Woman. Once we've got the Wonder Woman, we also know that in 2018, women also are in the workplace. And so they are in business, they are in all roles and all levels of business. And it's a tough job to be able to be a woman in business because as I have said many times before, you have to do uh, twice as much to get the same amount of credit as a man does. And so you've got to put in double as much work to be able to sort of be on the same level playing field as a man. And you've got to do all of this with grace, with beauty. You've got to be the princess. 
You also have to be the Wonder Woman. Sometimes you have to be ruthless. Sometimes you have to take charge. And so it's a difficult balancing act to get those two together. So a woman has a really hard time in balancing the roles. The other role that they take a lot of the time is that of a mother. And I think this is one of the greatest roles that women play. And that is as often especially at the beginning, the primary caretaker of the kids. And so it's up to, yeah, it's not only do you have the role of a, of a warrior, of a princess, of someone in business, but you also have the role of raising kids. And probably the hardest thing on earth is to raise children. And there's so much, much expectation on how you raise raise a, a, a child there's so many different voices so many experts so many opinions and somehow you have to wade through all of that and make the right choices because there's a lot of guilt that happens when you get it wrong because all eyes are on you and if if something happens with your child hey that's the hardest thing that we could possibly possibly go through so you're expected to be a mother caring nurturing, uh, protecting for your children. Then you also have that of wife. Hey, we need you. So not only do you need to look after the kids, but you also have another child who's normally a husband. As I mentioned, we get the man flu and then we can do absolutely nothing for ourselves. And so we need a wife who will give us care and love and affection and affirmation. You've got to be our biggest cheerleader because our egos are so fragile. So there you are. You also have to be a wife. And we need a wife who is caring and loving and affectionate. And... Um, we also need a wife who's prepared to help us in our goals and, and make joint decisions. So you also have to come to the party in, in that way. Um, that's, that's, a, that's what we, we need. So you've got princess, you've got warrior, you've got uh, businesswoman, you have uh, caretaker, you have the parent, you have the wife. And you also have that of the homemaker. Now, if you are anything like us, uh, we do not have our lives very much together. And so we invite people around. And when people come around, it looks fantastic. We want to portray an image that we have things under control when we actually don't. And so my wife is expected by other people to keep her house ship shape everything in its place and so often our house does look really really good but please don't open any of our cupboards to let the mess fall out but it would be very bad and a big shame if our house was falling apart we don't want people to know that so you are expected to play all of these roles every single one and you are expected to jump between the roles you are expected to live up to the roles and you are expected to do the roles to perfection. That's where a lot of guilt comes in. It is very difficult to juggle all of these roles and to handle all of the expectation and to do it perfectly. 
And when you can't, the guilt starts to take over. The weight of having to do it all and be it all starts to really push itself down on women. And so that's where we as men have to come to the party. We need to step up. We need to start taking on some of the roles that have been sort of, you know, pushed onto you. We need to come and help. We need to help with the kids. We need to help uh, when you have uh, business uh, travel and we need to start to take over the homemaking. We need to understand that you have needs too. It's not just about what we want. It's about how can we help you to be the best that you can possibly be in all of the roles. And so we need to be equal partners in this. And so often we expect the women to have to take the step up in the workplace, but the men also need to take the step up, especially in the traditionally uh, feminine roles. There's a huge sort of gray area now. And ultimately, when we took the walk down the aisle, we promised to be companions and partners on this road. So can we do that? Can we step in into that space to try and take the pressure off of you? That is part of what a man needs to do in this day and age, is to be a partner and to start to take away that um, pressure on you. Also to let you know that you don't have to be perfect. No one is perfect. We are going to make the wrong decisions. We are going to make the wrong calls at times. And we need to give you grace we need to give you love we need to lead you to know that it's going to be okay and that you have done your best and that's all that we could possibly ask also find other women who also walk this journey and if you have to pretend to be perfect in order to fit in in those relationships then change your relationships You need to have a safe space where you can be 100% vulnerable. You can say, this is where I feel like I'm getting it wrong. This is what the pressure is doing to me. This is where the roles don't make sense. And I need to share. I need someone who's going to cry with me and laugh with me and do life with me in a way where I can be authentic and genuine. And so do you have those relationships in your life? Do you have places where you feel no judgment? Places where you feel that you are free to be authentically you? Places that give you life in order to fill up your tank, in order to make it through the journey of being a woman. Mother, wife, businesswoman, homemaker, wonder woman, as well as a princess. Do you have those people in your life? So now I want to just tell you a little story that's found in the middle of the Gospel of Luke. It's one of those stories that we've heard many times, but so often have been misinterpreted or interpreted in a way that doesn't uncover the essence of what I believe Jesus was trying to say. So let's go to Luke chapter 10 and read the story of Martha and Mary. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. He had a, she had a sister called Mary, 
who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So can you see here, 2,000 years ago, it was, uh, it was tough. You know, the, the women were expected to, to make sure that everything was perfect. They had to put on the preparations. They had to put on the show. They had to host the, the guest. Here's a guy that, you know, just came on into their village and suddenly here they have to look after these guys. And so here's some of the words. It says, yeah, distracted by all the preparations. Do you ever feel distracted because you constantly expected to do so much? You expected to fulfill all these different roles. You have to try and be perfect in the one thing. And so something will fall in another aspect or another sphere of your life. Anyway, Martha carries on. She goes, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now again, interesting that maybe 2,000 years later we should be going, but when someone needs help, so when a woman needs help to be able to get all the things, get together, get put all these things together, does she ask a man? Do we rely on our men to actually step up and start to, to take over some of the functions? If it isn't, then have we evolved in the last 2,000 years? Then Jesus says something very interesting, goes, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Do you feel that way too? Are you worried and upset about many things? Hey, those many roles, those many functions, those many uh, deadlines, those many things that you have to keep up in the air. Are you worried and upset? But then Jesus says, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, what Jesus is saying is that sometimes we are so busy. We are so engulfed in all these things that we have to do that we forget who we truly are. And Mary maybe has got it. He, she sits at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, finding life in his words, and discovering herself. It's so important that we come back to our core identity. Who are we truly? What is at the core of our being? Who does Jesus and God say we are? And then we can build our lives from there, knowing that we have a solid uh, interior, a solid core for on which to build. Because when that weight comes, when the expectation comes, when the perfection must be done, do we have that internal core that cannot be crushed, that internal identity? Everything carries on from there. So that Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. Now that is something that we all need to discover. What is that one thing that we need? And I truly believe it's to understand who we truly are. And so, who are we truly? And that brings me on to something that I really have enjoyed. I'll tell you the story of the lost Cavaggio. 
Now, Caravaggio was a Renaissance painter. He painted many biblical scenes, uh, the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, he did a couple on, uh, on Thomas and, and the disciples putting their fingers in the side of Jesus. Lots of amazing paintings. Now, in the 1960s, there was a, a, a lady that had bought a, a house or a little flat in the, in the middle of Paris. And she had gone up to the top, into the attic, and seen that it was an absolute disaster. There were so many things that were just lying around uh, that she didn't want or didn't need. And a couple of artworks, um, but they really didn't look like they were worth anything. So she went, to, went down to the local sort of shop, not the, the local shop, but the local market. And she hired a table and she put out these artworks and she put up these things that had been found in the attic. And maybe, you know, just maybe someone would want a couple of things. This gentleman walked past her stall once and then again and then again. And he was looking at one painting in particular. And then he got down on his knee and he started to really investigate this picture. Eventually, he went to the woman that was behind the, the table and he said to her, I would gladly take this off your hands for the amount that you are asking, but I'd not be able to sleep knowing what I had done. And so he said, I'd like you to, to come with me with this painting and let's go and speak to someone who really knows something. What actually happened is that the Cavaggio was a treasure that had been lost over many, many centuries, considering this was about, you know, 400 years after Cavaggio had lived. The price of that painting was $136 million. $136 million at an auction. What makes some paintings so expensive, so priceless, so worthy, gives it such value. What are those things? And I really want to talk about four different things. The first thing that makes a masterpiece is that it has to be a one of a kind. And so this one was a one of a kind. In fact, it was part of a series and there was one particular painting that had got lost. And so it needed to have followed that series and that was the one that had been lost. But nothing had been made like it. And so they knew that it was priceless because it was one of a kind. The second thing is that it needed to be painted with precision. It wasn't a draft. It wasn't an outline. It wasn't a, uh, just a black and white. It was a wonderfully crafted and painted with precision and care and time and with stroke work that really was beyond anything that anyone had ever seen. So it was definitely painted with precision. The third thing that made it a masterpiece was that it was made in the master's image. And so we know that it is Cavaggio because Cavaggio painted in a certain style. He had certain ways of using color and using uh, people and, and certain uh, dynamic strokes to his work that made sure that everyone knew that that was a Cavaggio. And so it was made in the master's image. The last one that made it priceless is it had the mark of the master. The first thing that all art collectors look for is that one little thing. And that's the signature. 
was it really the person who had, you know, the master painter? Was it really them? The only way that you knew is by that signature that was on the bottom of the painting. And this Cavaggio had all four. And therefore, it was worth $136 million. Now I want to take that same recipe and try to apply it to you. Because you are of infinite value. You are priceless. You are worthy beyond all comprehension. And yet we don't realize that. We don't understand our value. And we live lives that are not of the value that is built, in, built within us. So first thing, are we one of a kind? Well, every day I look in the mirror, I, I'm very uh, sure that I am one of a kind. No one looks like me, no one in the past, no one in the future, no one has my personality, no one has my looks, no one has my abilities and skills. I am very much an individual. I am one of a kind. And that gives me value. And that gives me price. I've also been painted with precision. It says many times in the, in the scriptures how important our creation was to God. That he knit us together in our mother's womb. That we were crafted inside of our mothers before anyone saw us. He saw our unformed body. That every day that we have has been written to the book of life. God took care. He knit us together. He put us together. He knows the amount of hairs on our heads. And he says this in the scripture. He says, I have searched for you. I know you. And so if that is true, then we have definitely been put together with precision. The other thing is that we were made in God's image. We were made in the master's image. At the beginning, it says that we were made in his image. So whenever we reach out to, to those on the margins, we, we emulate God. Whenever we show love, we emulate God. Whenever we build and create and make something new into this world, we reflect God. We are at our best when we reflect God. And we can see God at work inside of us when we are doing the things of Christ. There is no doubt that we have been made in the image of God and that when we live out God's mission, we are at our best. And the last thing that I want to share with you is that we have been made with the mark of the master. It says that God put, you know, in the beautiful representation of creation, that God used the mud and he, he put it all together and he formed it all together and then to give it life, he breathed his spirit into us. In the New Testament, we hear about the, how the Spirit lives and moves and dwells within us. We know that it, because of that Spirit, because of what God is, has blessed us with, that we have eternal life and also the invitation to living in union with God. We have the mark of the Master within us, and therefore we have all four things. We are one of a kind. We are painted with precision. We are made in the master's image and we are made with the mark of the master. Do we believe that? Because if we do, we are of infinite value. 
There is no price tag to our lives. That there is a worthiness that we have that the world cannot give to us. No role that you play, no amount of perfection is ever going to devalue who you truly are. You are God's masterpiece. You are made by God for God. And that should give you a new sense of how amazing your life is. And it should renew you in thinking, you know what, if I am worth this, then maybe I must live according to this worth. Maybe I must live according to this value. Maybe I must really take myself up to a notch and be able to know that I am priceless. I am God's masterpiece and that there is nothing about me that is not of God. A really strong woman by the name of Sheryl Sandberg is the COO of Facebook, the Chief Operating Officer of Facebook. And she's been a, a pillar of strength in women's leadership. And uh, she tells this wonderful story about how difficult it is to be a woman. The expectations, the need for perfection, the amount of guilt that you guys have to deal with. And the story that she told was about one St. Patrick's Day, where the kids in America, if it's St. Patrick's Day, there's quite a few people with Irish heritage. So they all get dressed up in green. And on this day, the son decided that he was going to wear his favorite blue T-shirt. And so as uh, Cheryl, you know, kissed him goodbye, he then jumped into the car with dad. And so dad was going to take him to school that day. So dad, uh, whose name was Dave, he went off and uh, stopped the car in front of the school. And at the front of the school, there's a teaching assistant that takes the kids into the class. And so as they opened the back door and this little kid hopped out, she goes, oh, you know, dad, you're so good for bringing the son, you know, your child here. You know, it's so good to see dad so involved in their kids' lives. But why didn't your wife dress him in green? Because it's St. Patrick's Day. And so the father phoned Cheryl and said oh okay well you know the kids safely at school um, but they did mention that she was he was in a blue t-shirt and not a green one apparently for the rest of the day she was thinking about how can she get this child a green t-shirt how on earth could she have forgotten how can you know now her son is sticking out and and you know and there's a chance that he's going to be bullied and all these doubts and all this guilt and all this worry and anxiety was coming through her and um the the father just said well you know what our son will then stick out he's supposed to that's what makes them stronger so the the truth of the matter is that guys get applauded for doing a little bit of a woman's role for looking after the kids for looking after the home for uh, being nurturing we get incredible amount of credit for just doing a little bit whereas if you guys don't do it perfectly you get hammered you get absolutely criticized to the bone and and that's a problem 
because of this double standards that is placed upon you. No wonder you feel so anxious and so guilty so often. It's not fair. And that's where we need to try and start to level the playing fields. That's where we need to also step up as men to try and help to uh, uh, everyone to start to look at a woman's role in a different light. Now, I want to tell you about three generations of women that have been in my life. And you know what? They haven't been perfect. They haven't done everything 100%. They haven't done it according to the textbook. But the truth is that they are the strongest role models that I could have ever have hoped for in terms of what a woman should be like. And so my grandmother was born in uh, the 1930s uh, in the time of depression in a little town called Dahlstrom. She was the youngest child of 11 and she grew up with brothers and sisters and they were incredibly loved but the only way that she could make it was to go to the big city and so she went to the big city of Johannesburg. There she met a man and he was a lovely man. He used to sing in the pubs and the bars. He played guitar. He was uh, apparently a very tall, very strong young man. And they fell in love. And that was great, except for when he drank. And it was a huge problem in his life. And, and she couldn't deal with it. Now, she had the choice of projecting the image of, you know, that she was the perfect wife. And that they had the perfect marriage. Um, they had my mom and my uncle during that time where she was really having to cope with how do you deal with an alcoholic husband. Well, she had the strength to, to leave him. And so while many might have criticized and said, you've got to make it work. I mean, you know, you're there to be a wife and a mother and you need to keep the family together. She was strong enough. And she knew her value and her worth to actually leave that situation. It was a tough decision because she had to bring up two kids on her own. And she didn't have a massive salary. She wasn't a doctor or a nurse or anything that could provide a very stable income. But she was a teller and a cashier at the OK Bazaars. And she did that for her whole working career. And she raised two children on that. And both children have become successful in their own right because of the example that their mother set for them. My grand was probably the strongest woman that I have ever known. And, and for me, the symbol of what strength really is. She went through so much. She had uh, lung cancer, she had throat cancer, she had breast cancer, which meant that she had double mastectomy. Um, she had three strokes. She was in an accident where she had a broken neck. Um, she had been through so much, yet they had the most incredible spirit and tenacity and, and kept moving forward. And so she was such a role model for me. I remember once walking into her bedroom and seeing two things next to her bed and I picked them up and they were rubber and they were, they were, you know, sort of jiggly and they looked just like chicken fillets. And so I went to my gran and my gran was in the kitchen with other people around. And I said, gran, um, why were there chicken fillets next to your bed? 
And my gran, instead of being embarrassed, she was incredibly uh, gracious in the way that she dealt with me. And she said, my boy, those aren't chicken fillets. Those are my boobs. And she then gracefully put them into her bra. I'll never forget that because of how strong she was. And looking back, how kids would do something just like that. So, yeah, that was a, a great story. Then I had my mother. My mother, who came from a single family, from a single parent family. Um, we had a, a step-grandfather who was incredibly good to my mom. But she had she came from, from very little. And she's started her own businesses. Uh, she's done that incredibly successfully. And uh, I really do hold her in such high esteem. But I'll never forget how strong she is because she tried to project her strength onto us. There was a day where I was running around in my rugby boots and uh, we were in a house in Tigerberg Hills and I slipped down the driveway and then fell on my arm. And so here I am crying and, and bleeding and scratched up and there we go. I go and run up to the to the top of the thing and crying in tears and my mom being my mom she says my boy it's nothing major just go put it under water and there we did and I, I put it under water for three weeks it didn't get better until a nurse who was a friend of ours told my mom I, I don't know if it's just a scratch June and so we went for x-rays and there it was there was the fracture and so my mom felt very guilty for ne not taking me to the doctor. But you know what? She taught me how to be strong. And that is one of the greatest gifts that she could ever have given me. So she wasn't perfect. But she knew who she was. And she was strong. And she knew her value. And she knew her worth. And I learned so much from her through that. And then there's my wife. My wife who really plays all of these roles. She is a mother. She's a mother to two wonderful children, but a child that has incredibly specialized needs and very difficult to learn how to parent. She's also a businesswoman. She's a chartered accountant and she works as a senior manager in a firm, which is very demanding, puts a lot of pressure on her. And then she is a wonderful wife. She's sometimes, you know, is Wonder Woman. She's the warrior woman when I have my man flu. Uh, she'll tell me straight out when I'm not pulling my weight. Uh, she will give me a really hard time. She's incredibly strong, but she knows that she's, she's worth, you know, she's worth me getting involved. Um, she doesn't have to do it by herself. And what it does do is it empowers me to actually take up more of those roles. But the story that I want to tell you is about when we were at a child psychologist a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about how difficult it is to parent two children that are so different. We've got James who has severe autism and there's a whole, whole strategy that we have to use in order to help him to develop and to grow. And it's not going to be the same strategy as what we deal with our daughter, Charlotte, who is what they call neurotypical. So she has a normal development. And so at a certain point, Tracy broke down and, and you could see the tears forming and she was visibly upset. 
And so it was so interesting to see how the, the psychologist dealt with her because she turned around and she said, my darling, why are you so distressed? Why are you so anxious? What's upsetting you? And she, she looked at the, the psychologist and she said, I just can't mess this up. I just can't mess this up. And I could hear in her voice that that was the voice of so many women who are going, I can't mess up my job. I can't mess up this marriage. I can't mess up uh, my kids. I can't mess up this home. I, you know, there's so much that is being thrown onto you, so much that you guys have to carry, so much expectation that it is almost impossible to make it through unscathed without bruises. And that's why I loved what the psychologist said back to her. She said, my darling, you're going to mess it up. You're going to stuff it up. There's going to be times where you make the wrong decisions. There's going to be times where there's tears and there's going to be anger. And that's okay. To just be given permission to not be perfect. Just to be given that, uh, you know, express permission that you're not going to get it all right. It's okay. And that's why I need you to know what your real identity is. As much as you playing the role of mother and wife, of uh, homemaker, of businesswoman, of warrior, princess, all of those things are roles, but you need to know what is at the center. Who am I really? And that's where I want to take us to next. Now, you might be saying, Ryan, that's all good and well. You know, I'm worthy, I'm valued, uh, I, I know my worth. Um, and you, Or otherwise, maybe you're saying, I just don't feel it. I just can't feel that worth, that value. How else do we know? How else do we know what our value is? And this is where I was able to read a wonderful book called Life of the Beloved. It's by an author called Henri Nouwen. Um, if you check what he's done with his, he track, if you can track what he did with his life, it's an absolutely incredible story. And this book, Life of the Beloved, is one of those that really opens up your eyes to who you truly are. That you are God's beloved. And so I want to read to you a part of that book. And what it does do is it paraphrases a lot of uh, paraphrases a lot of the the verses in the scriptures that tell you how loved you are, that tell you about your identity, that make it known to you how important you are to God, and that nothing can erode your worth and your value in God's eyes. And so listen to these words. Listening to that voice with great inner attentiveness, hear at your center the words that say, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved and you my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. 
I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you. And wherever you rest, I will keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own and I know you as my own. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. There is that wonderful line in there. You are my beloved and on you my favor rests. We have choices in life. And I think that choice between Martha and and Mary is a very powerful one for all of us. It's a very powerful one for all of us because we have the choice to be busy. We have the choice to keep on juggling our roles, to fight up to those expectations, to try and become perfect. And then we shatter and then we break and then we slowly disintegrate. The weight just pulls us down and we, we, we can't go any further. But then Jesus gives us an invitation Come and sit at my feet. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Come and listen to the words of truth. The good news that you are my beloved. You are my beloved. My grandmother had every right to get to a point in her life where she says, you know what, I just have to settle. I'll have to settle into this relationship that doesn't bring me joy. This relationship where um, there is constant uh, trouble and and lots of issues. Where I feel that I'm not valued and I'm not number one. Um, and she chose to live a different life. Even it, if it meant that it was a harder life. Where she had to raise her children by herself on a salary that was very, very small. And yet, if you hear the stories of of my mother and my uncle, you would know that beyond all measure, she never settled for a second best life. She recreated her life into a life that gave joy to her children. And even though they didn't have the resources that uh, they had hoped for, the stories that came out of their lives have been absolutely amazing. And I'm sure that you've heard many of those. And maybe you've been living those stories uh, where, where someone has decided that they would not settle and decided on a new kind of life. And that's made all the difference. My mother, she could have settled to fall into a pattern. A pattern where... It's quite easy to go from a broken family into another broken family, but she didn't. She never settled for second best, and she also didn't settle uh, for a life that was um, that was what she felt below her. She knew her worth, she knew her value, she knew her skills and abilities, and she went out and she claimed a better life for herself. She started business. She took she took risks, and today. She has done so incredibly well because of that, not settling. And she never lets any of us settle for a second best life. She'll constantly challenge and push us. Uh, 
because she knows that we are worthy, because she knows that God loves us, because she knows our identity is God's beloved. And so maybe today is the day where you choose a better life for yourself, a better life for your family, where you say, you know, it's just not, it, it, we don't get to that phase where we go, it is what it is. We're going to make some choices. We're going to go for a better life. We're going to challenge ourselves. And we're going to walk away from situations where we do feel devalued, where we do feel worthless, where we do feel insignificant, because that's not what God created us to be. I want to finish off by reading this. When our deepest truth is that we are the beloved, and when our greatest joy and peace comes from fully claiming that truth, it follows that this has to become visible and tangible in all the ways that we eat and drink, talk and love, play and work. When the deepest currents of our life no longer have any influence on the waves at the surface, then our vitality will eventually ebb and we will end up listless and bored, even when we are busy. Does that core inner knowledge of who you are as God's beloved change your life? If it doesn't, then you truly haven't embraced it. And that is our challenge. I pray that you will all discover who you truly are, God's beloved. Will you sit at the feet of God and hear his voice again? Will you listen to the good news? Will you discover again that amazing truth that you are God's beloved? Go with God and never be the same again. Amen.